This is the Bates Bobcast, our weekly podcast where we take a look at the week that was in Bates Athletics. My name is Aaron Morse, and this week we are celebrating a remarkable weekend on the Charles River for the Bates rowing teams. The field hockey and men's soccer teams have huge games this Wednesday at Colby, and the cross-country teams host the NASCAC Championships this weekend. All that and more coming up on the Bates it was a banner weekend for the Bates rowing teams. The Bobcats competed in the 53rd annual Head of the Charles Regatta and guided by senior coxswain Hannah DeBruin, the Bates women's varsity eight set a course record in the women's collegiate eights division, claiming first place among 26 boats with a time of 16 minutes, 1.182 seconds. Meanwhile, the second varsity eight, coxed by first year Elizabeth Folsom, turned in its best performance ever at the head of the Charles, finishing in fifth place in collegiate eights. The men's first varsity eight turned in its best performance ever at the head of the Charles as well. Led by junior coxswain Ariel Lee, the Bobcats took third place in men's collegiate eights with a time of 14 minutes, 32.444 seconds, beating fourth place Michigan by nearly eight seconds. Head coach Peter Steenstra looks back on the most successful head of the Charles in Bates rowing history. Well, let's start with the, the men's team getting third place. That's their best finish ever. And they beat Michigan, which, I mean, that must be a pretty, pretty, pretty proud achievement, huh? Yeah, it is. Uh, Michigan has been a perennial powerhouse club out of the Midwest for quite some time now. So uh, that, that was, that was uh, fun to see that, and it just justifies the work that the guys have been doing. Ariel Lee, I mean, she obviously guided them down the course as a coxswain. What have you seen from her during her time here? <laughs> She's been great with the guys. She really knows how to take control of them when necessary, but also let them be the guys when they need to be the guys um but she obviously did a great job put them on a rope down the course and and uh was able to work through some competition so she did a really good job so from your point of view were you at the finish line to greet them or how does that work yeah i was down there uh near the finish line just before uh so after the point where they come out of elliott bridge um that's where i was standing so they have maybe 500 meters to go at that point and um i just sit there and watch and see who comes out and what what they look like when they come through and all of our crews were looking really good and sharp and when they're sitting up like that and you can see a real energy in the boat even from across the river you know that they've had a good race I understand it was perfect course conditions lots of course records were broken what made it so great what made it great was very warm conditions over all of october with which has which provides warm water and so warm water the boats are going to go a little bit faster um, very little current because the water is so low and there was a nice little tailwind uh, near the well for the second half of the race course that there was a bit of a tailwind so everyone felt real good uh, going into the last mile and then I mean for the men obviously they're going up against some pretty big schools the club teams of those big schools so I mean it, it, this looks like one of your stronger teams yeah I mean I know 2k is different from this but yeah. it looks that must be a pretty good sign right it is. You know, it's a real good measuring stick for us as we go into the winter training. Um, it's good for the guys that were in the second boat because there's some big guys. There's It's a young group. 
and uh, it, it gives them not just a wake-up call, but it kind of lets them know where they are as compared to other Varsity 8s. So as far as a JV8, I think they're in very good shape. Uh, but um, it's a good incentive for the whole team to sort of know where we are and know that we're on the right path through our training um, and kind of get a good idea of who our competition is going to be come spring. Well, speaking of JV8s on the right path, the women's JV8 got fifth, best finish ever for uh, JV8 for the for the Bobcats uh, at the head of the Charles. I mean, were you expecting a top five finish from your second varsity eight? Um, I, yeah. It, it's hard for me to kind of boast that I saw this coming, but I, I will say that it was about two weeks ago I, I told the group that I think we have two crews that can be in the top six. Um, so it, maybe they took that and said, we really want to prove Coach right. I don't know, but it's clear that they they were very, very competitive with the top end of this field only a couple seconds behind Ithaca's Varsity 8, four seconds behind the Williams Varsity 8. I mean, that's, <laughs> that is showing some impressive speed, and we still have people abroad that are going to come in and be a part of this mix. So it's very exciting. Right, it's not even the full strength of the, of the Bobcat crews. Your first-year coxswain, tell, tell us about her. She obviously navigated the course really well. Yeah, Folsom, she knows what she's doing. Um, she may be a, a first-year, but she's a pro. You know, She's a bit of a veteran, so she has an idea of how to get down a course coming to us from the west coast where there's uh lots of traffic on crazy water and and uh yeah she did a great job she knows what she's doing all right and of course the first varsity eight won the event set the course record um hannah de bruin i mean her first year getting the opportunity and now as a senior it must be very proud we as the coaching staff could not be more proud of 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 de bruin she has been I I don't know if there's a coxswain who has worked as hard as she has over the over the course of her time here at Bates to earn that spot. I mean, she really has, and I think that she's had a lot of bumps and bruises along the way, and she was behind some very very good coxswains for two or three years there. Uh, but in the end, all that paid off. Her persistence and her open mindedness and learning from those older coxswains and coming in and talking to coaches, uh, working with her athletes that she had, and you know, taking the reins of the Varsity 8 and having a great deal of courage and uh, determination on her own in order to make that boat go down the line very, very fast. And she did an excellent job. I noticed with the first Varsity 8 you made some lineup changes there, uh, uh, maybe almost on the same day as the event, I'm not sure. But, I mean, in terms of how do you determine, you know, if you're going to move people to the bow seat or move people, you know, up and down the boat kind of like that um partly it's partly it's just me sitting in my launch watching them row and saying something just doesn't look right mm. try something else um it, we knew the eight people who were yeah. going to be in the boat a good number of you know, three weeks ago or so so that wasn't a question it was what's the best combination within and so we moved people around quite a bit until we finally found something that seemed to be the best the best combination um I mean, what was submitted happens, you know, a days ahead yeah. on it, through the computers, and then you can't change it once it's there and that kind of stuff. So, um, it, I don't even—I'm not sure what day. I think it was Tuesday that that was finalized, mm -hmm. but it was—it was pretty clear to me when it happened, and I think we would have had the same result one way or the other. Yeah. But maybe this was a few seconds faster. Who knows? Right, and I mean, the margin of victory was pretty impressive. You don't normally see that much of a margin of victory, do you? Not generally. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was uh, that, that was just a crew that knew 
their job was to put their weight on the oar and go down the course no matter what was happening around them, let the coxswain do their job, um, and just, just you know, put the pedal to the metal until the finish line. Uh, Bruin mentioned that there was one point where it was how they had to make a decision whether or not to pass Williams and you debriefed with her about that decision and it worked out obviously. We talked a little bit about yeah. it because you, you can't go through the, any contact at all and you're slowing down right. tremendously. Um, so you want to avoid contact at, at all costs even if it means taking a couple strokes easy to let them finish their maneuver. You know, Hopefully they're getting out of the way so that you'll have the best line. Um, I wasn't there to see it. I've, I have a little bit of tiny bit of video through the regatta that sort of shows them passing Williams and so by that point it was very clear uh, that the Williams crew got out of the way wisely on their part um, and and De Bruin I'm sure had some commu- communication with their coxswain as, as the rules dictate. Well I understand on the men's side Hobart did have some sort of issue right that slowed them down a little bit um, probably yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but again I wasn't down the wasn't there. down there but I, I know that I'm sure that there was some involvement it's, it's part of Rubbin's racing, right? Yeah. That's all you can say. <laughs> and then the CBB chase this weekend, obviously always a fun event up there uh, by, by Colby. Uh, what, what are you looking for from this weekend? We don't take any race that we do lightly. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not as though we're favored in some way. You know, it, it's For us, it's part of our training still. The team will go into this just like any other race. We will field the top eight that we can field, and we'll field the top four, and we'll field the top – of, of every event that's available to us and the expectation is to perform at your very best because to not do that reflects upon your character as an athlete. Great, and then any other thoughts on the Charles um, and obviously the most successful one in Bates history? It's fun for me to be a part of it and I look forward to continuing the trend with this program. It, it's, uh, it's getting bigger and deeper and stronger and faster all the time. Our female Bobcat of the Week this week is the entire women's first varsity eight. The Bobcat Boat of Cox and Hannah DeBruin, Stroke Grace Murnahan, All-American Rosemary Kine, two-time All-American Olivia Stockley, Hannah Beams, Sally Porter, Hannah Fitz, Emma Wheeler, and Bow Laura Rand is represented on the Bobcast by DeBruin and Murnahan. What a race it was. First of all, Hannah, I know it was your job to navigate that course. Obviously, it went perfectly. Ideal conditions. Tell us a little bit about the race and how it went for you. Yeah, the race was actually a blast. So the conditions were ideal, having a slight tailwind with no current. And we found our race pace right away at a 33 strokes per minute and just really just got in our groove and kept on going and closed that gap on Williams and ended up passing them, which was a lot of fun. And what that was the tricky part, passing Williams, in terms of the logistics? How'd that work? Well, so when you come to the Elliott turn, you want to take the inside of the turn and then cut across the other inside to the Belmont dock. So we had it set up perfectly to take the first inside turn, but then we really had to move on them quickly in order to get that straight shot to the Belmont dock. So it was, it was fun, but it was tight. <laughs> uh, Grace, as a stroke, how are you interacting with Hannah throughout the race? Um, you know, well, I'm looking straight into her eyes, which is always, like, kind of funny. Uh, I definitely really, really feel the full force of her intensity as a coxswain. You know, she's talking about the Elliott turn. We were coming around, and she's like, we have to move right now. Like, she's, like, looking at me right in the eyes, and she's like, if you want to make this turn, you got to go right now, and you got to really just hammer it home. Um, 
but I you know, I love having De Bruyne as a Cox. What was your reaction when you found out that you'd broken the course record? Multiple teams broke the course record, but you obviously won and you broke the course record. Yeah, well, we were coming down maybe 500 meters to go on the course, and De Bruyne, I remember, made a call, and she's like, this is what the course record is. This is... The, you know, this is the time we're striving for. And I remember thinking to myself at the time, I'm like, that's so unattainable. There's no way we're making that time. And then, you know, we finished. We didn't really know how we had done because of the way, the nature of head racing. You don't really know how you stand compared to the rest of the boats. We didn't really know. We knew we had closed the gap on Williams and Ithaca, but I really had no sense of where Wesleyan was. And it was close. We got on the dock. And we saw our coaches there, wasn't totally sure still. Um, the results weren't official yet. Then they told us we won, and we were, you know, excited about that. That was incredible. Um, and then we're putting the boats away, and someone's like, you know, <laughs> you broke the coast record by a fair bit, you know. And that was then we all just lost it. It you know, kind of reminded me of NCAAs all over again when we found out on the water. Um, yeah. Great. Um, you, so the course record was very much in your mind, it so sounds like. I only knew the what the... Um, Bates 1v1 in 2014, their time. So I was using that, and the course changes year from year, really, depending on conditions. So I was calling that number, like, in my back of my head. So when I looked on the Cox box and saw that we were, like, 15.30 and we still had a bit to go, I was, but not too much to go, I was kind of shocked. Podium, obviously, always a great time, right? Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's a great time. It's, you know, it's so nice to be surrounded by all these people who've come out to watch us, whether it's past rowers, family members, you know, people I've rode with in the past outside of the Bates community. It's just really, really nice. You know, there's that festival-like atmosphere, the head of the Charles race, and it was really nice just to see rowers past, present, and hopefully future out there. Yeah. And so we talked about how you raced uh, in the fours last year as a coxswain. Now you got a chance to do it at the eights. We talked about beforehand what you were expecting. Did everything kind of go as planned, it seemed like? I think as, as much as you can plan for, I think it yeah. did go by plan. We were in a nice situation with... Our boat spacing being between Williams and RIT, there were like there was no collisions or anything, so that was ideal. So it went pretty well, but planned. Collisions in this race, I mean, in the spring it's not really a factor, right? But in this race, it's a possibility. Yeah, um, I definitely. Coach has said in the past, Rubin is racing. It's uh, you definitely coming around those turns. People are really aggressive to get that good line, and if you're right on someone's tail, they're supposed to yield to you, but you never know how they're going to act. Um, and so it's, you know, it's a good chance for the coxswains to get really aggressive, and it makes it really fun, but it's also, you know, it's scary. People were throwing around some expensive ex equipment. So this race is obviously totally different than the spring, but how do you think it prepares you for the spring nonetheless? I think as a coxswain, you really have to plan what you're going to say and really think about how you're going to make your, how you're going to lead the rowers to do exactly what you need to do, because you need to create the move in order to pass the boats in the correct amount of time to make the turn. So I think it really teaches the coxswains about how to use like word choice and tone to help prepare me for the spring when moving into head races and when we want to move on a boat, but there's not a safety concern involved. I know you, you've worked with the coxswains we had in the past who graduated. Obviously, we had two very experienced coxswains there in track and, and Beerman. Now you got not a new coxswain, but a senior who's in her first year, the first varsity boat. How to, I mean, what, what, what's her style like compared to coxswains you've worked with before? Yeah, well, I think that every coxswain has a different style. Yeah. Track and Beerman definitely weren't the same. Right. Uh, De Bruin is her own person, and she has, you know, she brings a different set of skills to the table. I mean, De Bruin took a really, really tight line. She took Weeks, Anderson, and Elliot Bridges super, super tight. Uh, you know, you, she, you know, comes with this intensity, and I think for me being in stroke seat instead of three seat, maybe I see it a little bit more. 
but she comes with this intensity, this tone of voice, this really, really high standard she sets, and she sets a really high bar. So I'm excited to see what comes in the spring. And what else being in the stroke C is different maybe from when you're in the three C? Um, well, <laughs> I'm on port now instead of starboard. So, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, doing something on the other side completely is different, and it takes a, it takes a minute to think about it. Definitely it was a transition for me. Um, being in stroke seat also, you know, three seats in the middle four, you're part of the powerhouse, you're just the, en you're the engine room, you know, you're responsible for just driving the, driving the rate up with the legs, bringing a lot of power. Stroke seat requires more finesse, I think, which is something that I've had to really work on. You must have been hearing from tons of alums after this, right? Yeah, it was actually really nice that before the race, I was getting texts from alums I haven't heard, them, heard from in from a long time, which is really nice to see that support. And as we were rowing down to the starting line, you can hear people like screaming for Bates, and you had people who were definitely Bates alums who we didn't know were cheering, and it just made it the race like exciting. It was a madhouse coming yeah, around Elliot. It was <laughs> it was just it was so overwhelmingly loud and it was great. You know, Hannah Fitz said something about turning all that energy into motivation and I think that it's totally true. It was right at the right time, right when we needed it gave us that little kick and it was great that we we're passing Williams right as it happened. Yeah. <laughs> also the boat as a whole just really went out there and crushed it. Like everyone put their hearts into it and we could really feel it. Warming up we did some twenties and I was like amazed just like how good it felt. So I think everyone had like the great mindset and great attitude going into the race. CBB chase this weekend, right? Yeah. What's yeah. that like? Um, it's really great. You know, it's the atmosphere. I really love. It's definitely quieter than head of the Charles, obviously, <laughs> um, up in uh, you know Waterville, up in Colby. But I really love. You know, it's a great opportunity to kind of talk to the other rowers and like forge that community. Um, you know, Colby is really really generous, and they host a barbecue after the race, and we all sit together and eat. Um, you know, so you get to row fast and, you know, spend some time with some fellow rowers. It's awesome. Yeah. Is this a 2K or what are you doing? It's more than a 2K, uh, but it's less than Heather Charles. Okay. It's a pretty straight course, except there's one, like, C turn. So it adds excitement for the coxswains. Yeah. yeah. But but not Heather Charles. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, nothing's like the Heather Charles. Well, congrats again on the victory, the course record, everything. Hand to Brew and Grace Murnahan representing the first varsity, our female Bobcats of the week. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you Thank very you. much. Good to talk to you. And our male Bobcat of the Week is the entire men's first varsity eight. The Bobcat boat of Cox and Ariel Lee, Stroke, Kyle Schleter, Roderick Pratt, Eric Jordan, Quinn Hayward, Quinn Gardner, Daniel Sparks, Mats Tarish, and Bow Josh Bilchek is represented on the Bobcast by Lee and Schleter. First of all, first varsity eight Coxon, head of the Charles, navigated through, uh, third place I mean you must have been thrilled with that result oh yeah it's like it was amazing um I think the really interesting about interesting thing about um head of the Charles is that you don't know what place you're at when you're rowing it's because it's all based on time so you're just going after it going doing the best as you can of, of course obviously the rowers are pulling this but and then we're on the land and someone's like unofficially you're third right now we're like what you know, so it was very exciting to see that. And then we were also, like, biting our nails, kind of waiting to see that official time come out, too, because we know it could change in any minute. But it was it was fantastic to just have that third from unofficial to official and have that um, the whole entire time as well. Yeah, Kyle, what was your reaction when you found out you were third? Um, for us, you know, we we were going in, you know, last year. I know that the, the men's varsity got, you know, the top ten and, and as a whole group, we really wanted to get top five and then coming off the water and 
having our assistant coach, uh, Lizzie, come over, and she's like, hey, guys, you're unofficially top three. We were kind of ecstatic. We wanted to keep our cool, but deep down we were we were little kids inside. And, um, you know, going in there with uh, aspirations for top five and then finally getting top three is, you know, it's a huge stepping stone for our program. And um, I couldn't be prouder of everyone in the boat and on our team. And, you know, without uh, other guys pushing us, we, we wouldn't be as fast as we are now. And uh, we have a really strong senior class. And, you know, we, we hope for the best in the spring, too. Sure. And then from the Coxman's perspective, were there any challenging parts that you remember uh, throughout the race in terms of navigation? Or pretty smooth? It was pretty smooth. Um, obviously, it was challenging as head of the Charles. Um, it was super fun as a Coxman to be Coxing through that. Um, the course was, or the turns was wider than I expected. Um, obviously I did my best. Um, I actually had a pretty nice course for the last, uh, so there's six bridges, yeah. um, five bridges was pretty smooth. Um, the one bridge weeks was a little bit wider than I want it to be, but, um, we, I think, um, made up some time for the last Anderson and Elliot. I kept a pretty tight and fun course, um, at the end. So that was pretty exciting. All right, so this is not a sprint like your 2K races, but it's still, you know, it's a long race. Do you get a chance to take in the scenery at all or are you pretty focused? You know what, we're not supposed to <laughs> supposed to look around, but eventually my eyes wander a little bit. But um, come towards the end of the race, you're so locked in that you really don't remember remember much except the calls and focusing on your form and, and technique and whatnot. But uh, on our way up to the starting line is really when you get in your scenery and get to take in the moment and and kind of bask in, in what you're doing and, and, and what this is. And, you know, at the head of the Charles where there's 400,000-plus spectators and fielding, you know, 11,000 or so athletes and it's the biggest regatta in the world, it's, it's kind of amazing just to be there and to take in the atmosphere and stuff like that. So that's really the only time we get to look around. Right. How cool is it to beat uh, not only Hobart but Michigan as well? I mean, <laughs> I can't hide my joy. I can't hide our, my excitement. Um for just this team as a whole and for our boat, um, especially I think it gives us a lot of um, insight in how we're going to do in the spring. Um, so I think this definitely motivated us um, so that we're um, obviously going to train hard during this winter and hopefully we can hold that third place and be ahead of Michigan and Hobart for the spring as well. Right, because um, we talked about this last year, but IRAs are a possibility, right, in the spring? Yes. Um, so they decided... I believe last year that the top Division Three spot gets a, a bid at IRAs, and Hobart took that last year, unfortunately. But this year we have we have high hopes, and we're going to train extremely hard over the winter, and, and we're hoping to, to to best them in the spring, and, and hopefully get that bid. Um, and I think we we have a strong possibility of doing that this year. We've talked about what it takes to be a good coxswain, but you are at the stroke position, so you're right there next to the coxswain. So uh, what's your kind of main responsibility as part of the boat? Um, well, one of them is, is to let uh, Ariel know what's going on behind her, uh, especially in head races like that, because boats can come up fast, and, and you don't you want to make sure over everything that the safety of your crew is, is, is in good intent. Um, but also, I mean, for me, I've, I've been a stroke for – for three of my four years here last year i was in two seat of the 2v and um i really like the stroke position just because i like to it's it's a leading position but it's also more it's it's more technical based and you can focus on you know how much 
slide or, or rush you're getting from the other eight guys behind you and you can kind of gauge what the feel of the boat is and I kind of like that dynamic aspect to it more than just sitting there and and hammering away on the oar. Um, I kind of like the, the multi-dimensional sort of aspect to it where you can focus on your form and you focus on the speed of the boat and setting the pace and things along that sort of line. So what is that dynamic like from your perspective of working with the stroke? The stroke is definitely a unique position just because not just um, focusing on your form and focusing on the pressure, but you obviously have to set the tone and the pace for the boat. Um, it's a lot of pressure on stroke, but um, obviously Kyle's doing a great job. Um, also, it's a really fun um, just um, interaction, not interaction, but relationship to have with a stroke and a coxswain because as a coxswain, you're communicating with the stroke the most, um, asking how it feels, asking um, what the boat is feeling like right now. Um, so that's obviously a very unique position that um, Kyle and other um, stroke has in another boat. Following up just kind of your origins of when you started doing what you do, when did you start becoming a coxswain in, like, in high school or even before that? Yeah. Um, so, obviously, I'm, I'm pretty um, small or short, Other what other people can say. Um, uh, yes. <laughs> um, so, actually, it was even before I went into high school, I was um, looking at boarding schools, and I was at Kent School, which is um, a very good rowing prep school, and my tour guide actually was a rower, and she's like, oh, you'll be a great coxswain, you're short, and I was like, okay, good. Um, I always like playing sports, but obviously my um, height has never been a positive aspect of playing sports, so I was like, okay, I'm going to try it out, I'm pretty bossy, I know what, I have a big voice, like, I got, like, I think this is, this fits well. Um, so my freshman year of high school, I tried coxing, and then obviously it turned out great, um, stuck, stuck with it for now seven years this is my seventh year so um it has been a very great experience for me especially um just being in a sports team with my height with my um size it's a very unique position that i can only experience um so it's been great and i mind if i ask what's it like coxing the guys you know as as a woman kind of that dynamic sort of yeah um i i coxed the woman five years mm -hmm. and then this is my second year coxing men um, obviously, it's very different. How so? Not really sure. You just have to feel it. Um, the men, they're more um, power-focused, so it's really easy to um, just um, use ver words and use tone of voices to really rally them up and get, um, get them hyped and get them excited about rowing, which is very interesting from the women's sides because I think the women's sides, they really focus on the specific words that you say specific um i think they're very more they're um, more technical um so that has been a very interesting switch um i think i already got how to cox a men's boat hopefully um but it's been a great experience the switch has been um, a great experience as well great when did you start rowing well in high school i played basketball and lacrosse and i really didn't even know what rowing was until until junior year of high school when i was looking at colleges and I was walking around and, you know, I would do the tours and short short guys would come and pull me out and be like, hey, are you rowing or not? And I had no idea what he was talking about. And then I went back home and I looked into it and I did, you know, a learn to row near a, a town near me because my my school didn't have a rowing program, and which was weird because we lived on the water and I'm from a small town just south of Boston. Um, so there were, there were tons of crews and rowing programs around me, but my school just didn't happen to have one 
And so I tried out and my instructor actually said I had potential and he referred me to um, a club up in, in Cambridge area, which is CRI, which is Community Rowing Incorporated. And it's it was one of the biggest clubs in the nation. And uh, that's how I'm pretty familiar with the Charles area because I would row on it every day. So I would drive about an hour and a half from my school up to Cambridge, uh, front and back. It was like a three-hour commute every day. Um, yeah, it was pretty pretty costly. Um, I would get home at like 10, do my homework, uh, go to bed around midnight, wake up, do it all over again, pack a lunch in my car, and, and, and go six days a week. But it was worth it. I made a lot of friends, took me pretty far, and we were very, very successful that year. And um, I did two years of rowing in high school, junior and senior year. Um, and CRI is a very, very big program. It's very, very competitive. So um, much of what I learned there, I, I now take here. And um, I couldn't have asked for a, a better experience there. And um, I think the experience here is a lot different. But um, I'm glad I traded this sport or my other sports for this sport because it's it's definitely resonates with me a lot more than the other two. The football team fell to Middlebury 43-14 on Saturday. First-year quarterback Brendan Costa ran for 131 yards and threw for 141 yards and two touchdowns for Bates. First-year Jason Lopez and junior Marcus Ross both recorded touchdown catches. Head coach Mark Harriman looks back at Middlebury and looks forward to the CBB series getting underway this Saturday at Colby. Well, first of all, Coach, obviously, you know, on Saturday, Middlebury was able to rack up some yards with a multitude of quarterbacks. I know their starter got hurt. Is that tough for the defense when you've been scouting this one guy the whole year and then another guy comes in who's maybe a little bit different? Yes, but <laughs> to be honest with you, the you know, there's a significant difference between the uh, Middlebury starting quarterback and, and anybody that came in after him. Um, you know, again, he did a, a really good job early in the game and, and made some big plays for them and um, you know, once they had that kind of under their belt, they were able to run the football a little bit on us. And, and uh, you know, the, the the scores after that were, you know, for lack of a better term, probably didn't matter much. So, uh, you know, we, we uh, not taking anything away from those guys. I just think obviously there is a big difference between um, the starter and a backup at any program, but especially theirs. And obviously, you know, from a coaching perspective, if a team, you know, when you're, if your team falls behind early like that, what's your message to them on the sideline, kind of? Because it can be tough, you know, when you're down like a couple of touchdowns early on in the game. Like, yeah, that. well, I mean, you got to keep swinging because, again, you know, we've been in games like that in the past and and had an opportunity to come back and 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 uh, win a game and or uh, you, you know, it, it it can change really quickly. I mean, uh, and. Um, you know, we we are in a position right now where we just got to keep hammering home the, the the message of doing what we do. And when I say that, I say that as as groups, but also as individuals. And and I think there's the what things happen uh, when things start going south a little bit. And sometimes guys start doing their own deal, and and that's. Uh, and getting away from their fundamentals and, and then you know that that can hurt you even more um, a guy tries to make a play doing something that probably is out of the the scheme and, and ends up hurting hurting it more than than helping it so right because I guess yeah guys can you know 
it's it's good with good intentions, right? They're trying to make something happen, but you got to stay within the game plan. You know? Right, absolutely. I mean, and, and even within the game plan, because the game plan can change depending mm-hmm. on, you know, but um, it, it's more about staying within what their role within the, you know, the offense or the defense or the special team snap is. Uh, Brendan Costa, first-year quarterback, looked like he developed a good connection with a couple different guys. He had the touchdown pass to Marcus Ross. Obviously, that's a process, too, with him, you know, getting uh, familiar, I guess, with his teammates, sort of, right? Yeah, uh, and, and, well, it's it's a couple of things. I think it's it's understanding different guys run routes differently, um, even though it might be the same route. There's obviously nuances within that. Um, it's And it's also, I think, his understanding of, taking what the defense is going to give him in the past game and not necessarily always trying to just, you know, stick something in there that might have been his first read. Um, and, and that's just experience. I mean, as he gets more experience and, and more comfortable with the reads, both in the run game and the pass game, it's just, you know, he's, he's, he's going to continue to improve. Uh, Ross specifically, a guy who caught a touchdown last year, I remember against Bowden in that victory, got his first touchdown of the year um, there against Middlebury. What have you seen from him as he's kind of developing? Um, you know, just he's done a great job in a lot of lot of ways. I mean, it hasn't produced obviously touchdown catches and things, which I know every receiver would like. But um, Marcus is is a, a significantly better player this year than he was last year. And again, just a, you know another year under his belt and um, has helped us in in many different ways, all the way from blocking to you know again whether he's running the route that the ball's intended for or he's he's running to stretch somebody is just. Um, you know, he's done a great job with that. How's the team doing health-wise? I know Frank was involved again, you know, this week. How's everyone doing? Uh, we're beat up a little bit, you know. I mean, it's, it's it, you know, it, it's, uh, again, it, it's part of the game. Uh, you know, we, we've got always the, the mantra that guys, you know, next man in has got to step up and get it done. And, you know, we had a, a Josh Gendron had to come in and, and play center for us on Saturday. So, um, you know, there's a lot of guys. You see the, the the obviously the skill guys and the marquee guys to a certain extent when when they're not in there. But there's a lot of guys that are involved and and have had to really step in. Kevin Claflin actually had to play outside linebacker for us uh, on defense, and and uh, so you know we it's it's where we are, and you know you just got to keep moving moving with it and try to get those guys as familiar with the position they're going to play as you can. All right. Well, the CVB starts this week at Colby. Well, specifically Colby, these games have been thrillers in the past few years. Why is this matchup always so even, it seems like? Well, I think we're very similar teams, to be honest with you. You know, if you if you look at even the scores this year, um, you know, they had a, a relatively close one with Hamilton last week. But we play a lot of the same teams early. And, and you know, unfortunately for both of us this year, with a lot of the same results, um, I you know, they're, they're a physical team. I mean, they're, they're always excited just – Obviously, just like us, it's the start of the CBB for them. Uh, I believe it's homecoming up there this week. So, you know, there, there, there's a lot riding on it uh, for both teams. And, and, you know, we're always excited to, to, to go and play them because we know it's going to be, a, you know, a close ball game. It, it, it very rarely do you, do you see something that, that, you know, even if a team jumps up on one of the other team, usually by the end it kind of evens itself out. So... You know, we, we know it's going to be a be a fight for f- four quarters. 
How early do the first years like Lopez and Costa get indoctrinated into the importance of this rivalry, like on their recruiting trips? <laughs> yeah, I think you know, I think so. I mean, I think we we've impressed that upon our guys, and it's part of you know one of our team goals at the beginning of the year is is to, obviously to to win the the CBB, and and uh, um, so they've they've heard it. I think until you experience it and and go through it, it's. It's hard to understand the type of rivalry that has, you know, developed with, with both Colby and, and Bowden, and and it's something that you know, again, our guys look forward to, especially in a year where, obviously, things hasn't gone the way we we'd like them to go so far. We still have an opportunity to go out and, and for this group to to do something that I believe has only been done once in the modern history of the CBB, and that's win four straight. Um, you know, to be. A, very great tribute to our senior class and obviously something that, you know, we would like to keep the trophy here. Yeah, those seniors must be really excited because, I mean, they've won it outright each of the seasons. Now they get a chance to finish it off, huh? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, we'll we'll uh, regroup today and, and um, you know, correct the things we need to correct and, and start moving on and getting ready to play Colby. Mentally, it must be a good thing, really, because it's – well, you can say basically say it's the start of a new season almost. Yeah, I mean we're very fortunate. I mean there's you know there's not a lot of college football teams in the country or even conferences where you have these types of you know mini rivalries in, within. And um, as I said, you know irregardless of whether you, you know we, you're having a, a good season or, or you're struggling, it, it's it's nice to have that built in. Uh, any other thoughts on some guys who maybe stood out on Saturday who you're looking to see perform again this weekend? Well, I think, you know, um, if, if I look at some of the guys that, that we tabbed as coaches um, yesterday when we, we did our – I mean, you mentioned Marcus. We felt, he, you know, he had a very good game. Obviously, Justin Foley punted for 43-yard average. I thought Zach Doyon did a really nice job. Um, both offensively in the, the snaps that he got in there, uh, Ty Bomb as well caught the ball, uh, made some nice catches uh, there, and Zach also did a great job on special teams, um, both running under kicks and, and with some of the protections things. Ty Harrington played very a very solid game at defensive end, um, so you know we had some guys that, that that did good things. I mean, we just obviously you know we've got to we've got to um, clean some things up and. and as I said earlier, move forward. All right, looking to put it all together this weekend. CBB starting at Colby, then home against Bowen the following Saturday. Coach Mark Herman, thanks so much. Thank you. The men's soccer team defeated Middlebury 3-0 on Saturday. It was an extra special win because it was senior day at Russell Street Field and seniors factored in all three goals. Senior captain P.J. Benedetto scored twice, first on a penalty kick. DJ D. Benedetto is going to be the penalty taker. 5'10, 186 pounds, senior from Buffalo, New York. He right foots it. It's a goal. Let's go, boys. And in Here just the third boys. minute on the PK, D. Benedetto puts Bates ahead 1-0. Then on an assist from fellow senior Nate Merchant. Munoz once again to take the corner. This one a little higher toward the corner, punched away. Still alive, though, across the goal mouth, and it's a goal. It's Di Benedetto again. Senior captain Max Watson scored a goal as well, and we caught up with Di Benedetto and Watson after the match. 
Well, right after a victorious 3-0 senior day for the men's soccer team, we got a couple seniors here who scored some goals today, P.J. Benedetto and Max Watson. And we'll start with you, P.J. Two goals on your senior day. Uh, I mean, you're not, you normally don't play a position that's you know offensively inclined, but what opened up for those two scores today for you? Yeah, so the first one, we uh, had a penalty kick opportunity, just put, put that one away in the side net. Um, the second one was off of a, off a throw-in, um, off a set piece. You know, we always try to make sure we work on those in practice, take those really importantly. Um, it just happened to drop to me and just put it in the back of the net. So uh, just very fortunate to get two of those goals in. How special is this for you as a senior to get two on your senior day here? Yeah, it's big. It's big. Um, it was, you know, a good team win for us. Um, you know, it was good for us seniors to, you know, put all this work in for four years and, you know, get a nice win against Middlebury like this. Um, but we still got one more game left. So, you know, we're looking forward to that. Want to get that win and make sure that we can get ourselves in the playoffs. So we're looking forward to that. All right. Well, Max, take us through your goal. You know, I think it was off another throw and, you know, the same as PJ's, you know, balls bouncing around and when you're in the box, you know, our coaches have always told us, just think, put it on goal. And so that ball dropped to my foot, I put it on goal and good things happen. How cool is it as a defensive player to get a chance to score like that? Yeah, uh, you know, I think we talked in our earlier interview, you know, when I get the chance to go up for set plays, that's the only time I really get to think offensively. So when I have my chances, I like to take them. A uh, nice little trophy you get, huh? I mean, uh, this is a nice rivalry. We'll describe the rivalry with Middlebury, your experience over your four years. You know, I'd like to say that it's a special rivalry, but to be honest, I think that every team we play in this conference is tough. So we came out and approached this game as we'd approach every other game, and uh, to have some hardware at the end obviously is nice. Head coach Stuart Flaherty is thrilled with the win, but Bates has more work to do. The Bobcats must beat Colby this Wednesday to make the NASCAC tournament. That might be the best game we've played all season, and to do that at this time of year is very reflective of where they are as a group. We'll get into the game in a second, but the Headley Reynolds Trophy, for those who don't know, what's the history and from your perspective? Uh, Headley Reynolds was pretty uh, intrinsic in setting up the soccer programs at both schools. But yeah, when I, when I came in here as an assistant in 2010, you know, I was made aware that this is the one trophy other than the NESCAC Championship and the National Championships that we play for. And, uh, you know, it means a lot. History and tradition is a lot in sports, and it's, it's nice when things like this fall you away. How cool is it to have two seniors get the goals on senior day? It, it's wonderful. You know, it's wonderful. It's more important that we got a win for them because that's what they wanted. And, uh, you know, I think, I think as a group of coaching staff and as a group of players, what those boys have done for the program on and off the field for four years, we, we owed them two good halves today, and we owed them two more good halves on Wednesday because they uh, they have done things that I could sit here for hours and still not cover the depth of their impact on the program, um, on the field, off the field, off-season, locker room, and they, they, they deserve days like today. Sure. Well, Wednesday, win and you're in. How exciting is that opportunity? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's exciting. We go into every game. We'll, make, we'll watch the other team. We'll watch our game. We'll make a plan, and we'll, we'll go up there to bring energy and put the game plan out in action like to have today and win it. And then if we do, you know, it's... It's, it's not another game. It's a whole new season where everyone starts from scratch. Um, so, But that's, uh, there's some work to do between now and then, you know. The field hockey team beat Southern Maine 4 to nothing on Thursday and jumped out to a 2 nothing lead against number 2 nationally ranked Middlebury on Saturday. But the Panthers rallied to win 6-3. to Just like men's soccer, the field hockey team must beat Colby on Wednesday to make the NASCAC tournament. Senior captain Sydney Barris scored a goal against USM and Middlebury, and she updates us on where the Bobcats stand. You had your senior day the other day against Middlebury. I know Danny was doing the pregame ceremony. People were pretty, uh, it was pretty emotional, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really emotional. It was crazy that this day was actually there. I've, when I was younger, when I was a freshman, I always remembered it being senior day and how special it was for those seniors, and it was definitely. A really big moment to reflect back on when I was getting recruited and 
when um, our team was in a completely different position. So it was definitely a day of reflection and a day of looking back at all the hard work that all of the seniors have put into the program. I imagine you were probably one of Danny's first recruits yeah. uh, in there. So what was her message when she was recruiting you? Um, she said that this is going to be a changing program and that we want you to be a part of that. And that definitely stood out to me. I knew that Bates at the time like wasn't at the top of the NESCAC, but I saw so much hope and so much work that was going to go into this change. And then this year, obviously, has been an interesting season, right? I mean, yeah. probably not what you expected. What are your thoughts so far on it? Because you started off with those close losses and you had that big winning streak. Yeah, it's been kind of a weird backwards season, but beating Tufts and Amherst was probably so special, and that's something I'll never forget. Um, even with Middlebury, like, being neck and neck with them was really a big step in our program, but at the same time, like, we want more and we're hungry for more. It seemed like that Middlebury game, I mean, your goal put your head 3-2, and then that Middlebury was like, I guess, I don't know, what, what, what do you think happened there? Yeah, I mean, the goal was exciting. That's yeah. the first time I ever scored against an SCAC team, okay. and, like, having it be Middlebury yeah. was really a really special moment. But at the same time, we kind of crashed um, after the 3-2, and after they kept scoring, we kind of broke down a bit. I think that it was a really big learning, like, learning time for us. I think we learned that we need to finish a game. We need to be 100% at all times. So I think people are ready for Colby, and people want to win, and people want to keep going. So I know it's not over. Right, it's the third straight year where you're playing Colby, and you win, and you're in the tournament. You could be you know, higher than an AC, you could be a seven even, but uh, what's that like to have that final game where it's win or, or, not, or go home? It's exciting. Yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm hungry to win. We all really are, and it's crazy that it always comes out to Colby, but I think that makes our like rivalry even bigger, that we both have this, like, this program on the line, or we have um, this win on the line, and making the tournament on the line, I think that that makes the game like so intense. Colby's always one of our like top competitors, and I think that this is the time to make everything come together. This is the time to turn our brains on, use our physicality, use everything that we have to just let it all out on the table. Yeah, and as an athlete, obviously, you always think you can beat anybody, but um, this year you actually have beaten some of those higher-ranked teams maybe in the NESCAC, and so you know if you get in, you have a chance to really make a good run. Huh? Oh, yeah, and I think that's definitely really the fire in everyone, knowing that if we beat Colby, like, we'll see Middlebury, Tufts, Amherst, maybe we'll see all of them again. Like, we don't know what happens, but we know that we can beat them all. So I think that's also really driving everyone to go out on Wednesday because we know that once we get through Wednesday, it could really go all the way. And as a senior, how proud are you of like the future of this program? Because it looks like it's pretty strong, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm really, really honored to be a part of it, and I can't wait to see what everyone else does. I think it's going into a really upward direction, and I'm so excited to be watching when I'm at work and to still be involved. <laughs> Great. Sydney Barris, thanks so much for the field hockey update. Uh, good luck against Colby on Wednesday. Thank you. It's a big weekend for the Bates Cross Country programs. They host the NASCAC Championships at Pineland Farms. We preview the action with men's co-captain Ben Tonelli and women's tri-captain Mary Shotkovsky. Mary, hosting the NESCAC championships has got to be pretty exciting, right? Because the last few years you've been going different places. Yeah, it's exciting to be at our home course. It's less stressful. We don't have to go anywhere the night before. It's just same as usual. Wake up, you can have breakfast in commons and go right there. And we train there two times a week, so we really know like the course well. We know the turns. We know the hills. I know it can be pretty hilly, so how's that changed things, Ben? Yeah, uh, I think our team is really suited well for the hills. Uh, like Mary said, we train there constantly, so um, that's kind of what we're suited for. And in the past, it's been on flat courses, so I actually think that's a really big advantage for us being on the hills. I, have the coaches pretty much kept you isolated from the logistical aspects of trying to host? <laughs> We've heard a little bit about it. Yesterday, the whole team kind of went together and put all sorts of safety pins together for the other 
teams, but mostly it's just the coaches taking care of it, and we're just thinking about running, not about the logistics. Team's having a great year as one of the tri-captains. What's kind of your extra responsibilities, perhaps? Um, we just try to keep everyone like motivated and happy and behind the scenes, just help Jay with some logistics with um, practices and like keeping the locker room and stuff like that. So you're one of the captains for the men's team, and so extra logistics work for you as well? Yeah, uh, it's actually pretty good. We share a lot of that load with the rest of the seniors, and um, there's a good input about uh, training cycles and plans and what we're going to do. Um, and so I think it's good to kind of uh, have more of an input on it that this year um, in, in comparison to previous years. And so how do you think the you know events leading up to the NESCAC championships help you prepare for it in terms of, I know, obviously the stiffest competition you're going to face so far this season, right? Yeah, so we've raced uh, against a couple of the teams um, that are going to be running this weekend, um, but not all of them, uh, especially our main competitors, uh, Middlebury, Williams, and Amherst, we haven't uh, raced yet, so we haven't seen them race yet. Uh, but generally, we've raced against some of the other teams, um, so that'll be a good advantage for us. On your end, what uh, I mean, obviously, it's new competition as well for you too, right? Yeah, we haven't seen a lot of these teams, but we've seen them in years past, and we don't do too much thinking about like which team is what until the day of. Maybe Jay will tell us like who to watch out for, but mostly we just do our own thing and then see. Hopefully, we do better than them. <laughs> Pretty high finish last year, right? Yeah, last year was the highest we'd finished in a while, definitely in my time at Bates, and we were really excited about that. Last year we beat Middlebury, which was huge. We hadn't beaten them before. Um, our thesis and coaches made comments before, like, if we ever beat Middlebury, that's it. Um, so we were really excited about that, and I don't really know what their season is like. Would that be cool to do again? But we're not, like, expecting. I don't know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, how excited are you about the men's team? Because it seems like you're having the best year, perhaps, of all four years you've been here. Yeah, we have a really strong team. Uh, I think the region uh, has shown a few gaps, so we're just trying to fill in and, um, you know, stack up against some of the other teams that um, traditionally we wouldn't be able to compete against. Um, we have kind of a rough history at NESCAC, so this year we're hoping to hoping to really turn it around and uh, get momentum building for regionals. And, um, you know, we always we try to talk about going to nationals, but that's always the kind of the end goal here at the end of the season is uh, to, you know, really make our case for why we're deserving to go. Ryan, being at home obviously goes a long way towards helping with that, right? Yeah, so a lot of these teams that I've seen all, all the years that I've run here on this course, usually teams go out, they kill themselves, it's a hilly course, and they really just hit the wall early. So um, our training is really uh, set up so that we can try to race over the back half of the course. Um, and so that's what we're going to try to do, just just uh, wait and be patient and then just kill them in the last couple of miles. Next time on the Bates Bobcast, we'll tell you if the football team's quest for a fourth consecutive CBB title is off on the right foot. Plus, we'll update you on the postseason hopes for the soccer, field hockey, and volleyball programs. All that and more next time on the Bates Bobcast. Bates, Bates, my Bye.